Our second reading is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, As you know, I'm associate pastor over at Ascension with Dean Miller. And um, to give you just a very short brief uh, who I am, uh, I became a Christian later in life, not until I was about 21, 22 years of age. Uh, I've been in ministry for about 12 years, doing full-time ministry and kind of college family, youth, hence all the hair gel. I have um, my wife, Katie, and my two kids, if you couldn't hear them already, because one got stuck in the chair as it closed on her. Um, It's good to start off well. And uh, so this is, uh, oh yeah, that's a picture of us there. If you didn't just hear her, here's what she looks like. Um, And I love them. They keep me busy, and they keep my beard turning gray. But I I really am, I'm just kind of humbled and just honored to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I've always kind of found this time of the year fascinating because I feel like this is the one moment in time where our entire society, both individually and corporately, reflects back on the year, as well as looks forward to the new. And it's just interesting to me because that's where we set new goals, new habits, new hopes, new dreams. We want 2020 to look better than 2019. Um, But for some of us, we've broken way too many resolutions that we've just given up. Um, My barber this past week when I was getting a haircut said this. He said, uh, everyone says Happy New Year like they're going to do something new. They don't. They are all the same. It is neither happy nor new. And I was like, whoa, okay. (laughs) Luckily, he said this after he finished cutting my hair. (laughs) I was like, wow, all right. But the sense I got is basically change seems impossible, right? That we're so set in our ways and patterns, we're just like, why bother? Google actually does some metrics uh, on what are the most asked questions each year. And a lot of those things are centered on relationships and parenting and mental health. Things like, how do I save a relationship? How do I get out of a toxic relationship? Why don't my kids appreciate what they have? How can I be a good parent? In the state of Virginia, the most Googled mental health question for the years of 2016 and 17 was some version of being concerned with how much time they're spending on the internet, dealing with internet addiction, being on our phones and screens too much. 
And we keep asking the same questions year after year, and the solutions aren't any better. Five steps to a better you. Twelve steps to being a better parent. Most of the advice seems to be self-centered, self-empowered, and very individualistic. And then there's these pithy, inspirational sayings. Me and my wife had a great time Googling these things. One of them was like, be the true you that you want to be, because then you will change into the real you. (laughs) If someone can figure out what that means, I had to read it like three times to figure out like, so what am I again? But here's the question. What if the change that we're really looking for at the deepest level is actually not found in ourselves or our own abilities, but in something promised to you by God? And this is why this morning we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible with you, these are these things with paper in them, you can open that up. If you have the Bible app, you can swipe your way there to Ephesians chapter 1, because I am going to have to summarize, uh, due to time, some verses. So I want you to be able to look at the full verse. While you're going there, I want to give you some context and background to Ephesians. This is a letter that's written to a church of the region in Ephesus in 62 AD. Ephesus was a wealthy port city in the Roman province of Asia. This is our modern-day Turkey. It is a letter that is written by Paul, and if you don't know who Paul was, Paul was an intelligent Jewish Pharisee who persecuted Christians, meets Jesus, is radically changed, and most of our New Testament is written by him. And Ephesians is called a prison epistle because Paul is writing this from Roman custody. You can kind of see this in Acts chapter 21. And the main purpose of the letter of Ephesians is it is a general instruction in the truths of God's redemptive work in Christ. And so the letter starts like this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul tells us in his thesis, number one, that he has blessed us. It's past tense. It's happened. The second thing is is that these blessings or these promises are spiritual, meaning that it touches the deepest part of us, the part that drives us, the, the way we see and the way we act. So then what are these blessings? What are these promises that Paul so praises? Verse four, the first promise we get is the promise of election. He says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. First, it says that he chose us. This word, eklektos, is the word we get for election. And the emphasis of this word is that you have been deliberately chosen, that it's not random, but it's intentional, that God chooses with great personal interest. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And this is all throughout the Old and New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, he says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the same Old Testament language, you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And here's an important thing about God choosing you. He doesn't choose you based off your wealth, how cool you are, how many followers you have, but rather it's based off his love. Again, this should echo God's relationship with Israel. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath, keeping his promise that he swore to your fathers. But what did he choose us for? He says he chooses us to be holy, meaning to be set apart, to be different so that you could be used for God's plans, God's purposes, and to be blameless, meaning without blame. 
meaning that because the Ephesians are united to Christ through faith in his death and resurrection, that there are no longer things that can lay blame to them, whether it's internally inside of you or externally from other people. Things like shame, things like guilt, things like condemnation, because they have been replaced with God's love, God's grace, and God's righteousness. But we're not just promised election, we're also promised adoption. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, adoption in the ancient world was actually very frequent. In the Roman world, which is really Paul's world, this, uh, a father had to release a child to an adopting father three times, and the third time the child would be released. Now, this did two things. Number one, it did something for the father, because a lot of times, if people couldn't have children, they would adopt uh, a child so that they could have an heir, so that they could give their property to a son so that it would continue in their line, continuing their line. But the second thing is, is that the thing that it would do for the child is it would give the child full rights, full legal rights, and the benefits of his new father. It was a chance for a new family, a new name, a new opportunity, and a new life for this child. And God does this through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, God gives us a new father. Through Christ, we are given a new name. We are called children of God. Rather than in Ephesians chapter 2, we are called sons of disobedience. We are objects of God's wrath. And we are given a new life and a new purpose. We are called to proclaim the kingdom of God. I actually saw this part of our text actually lived out perfectly through the adoption of Lucy Scott. Now, you don't know who Lucy Scott is, and you don't know Steve and Blythe Scott, but I have known them for years. I knew them when they were in college, before they got married. Steve slept on the floor of our apartment while he was dating Blythe. And when they got married, they had a heart to adopt. Now, they could have biological children, so that wasn't the case, but they had a heart to adopt. And this is what they said in their own words. We want to adopt because through Christ, God has adopted us. We were left out and alone. He brought us in and, and just as made us his children and calls us his own. Our adopted children will be just as much ours as any biological children would be. Adoption is one of the ways we feel called to respond to God's great love for us and to show his love for our nurturing, hurting world. See, the Scots chose Lucy before Lucy knew she was chosen. The Scots longed for Lucy to be their daughter even before she knew that they existed. And they loved Lucy even before she could love them. And there is no way that you could tell her parents or that you could tell her family that she is not a daughter of the Scots. That's how God sees you. We have a promise of election. We have a promise of adoption. We have a promise of redemption. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. To redeem something in the Greek means to loose, to set free, to deliver by payment of a price. Again, this term in the ancient world frequently related to the purchase of a slave. You could buy and purchase a slave. You could purchase their freedom. But what do we need to be purchased from? Well, sin... Now, sin's not a word that we use in our vernacular. You don't go to your coworker and say, you've sinned against me. 
It's just not something we do. It's not something we say. But it is a religious term. It's a term that means to break the law of God or lawlessness. Or when I was doing youth ministry, you'd say it was an act, attitude, or nature that rebels against God. It are things like our desires, our anger, our lust, our greed. You've seen it on TV. You've seen it in the news. You see it in your neighbors. You saw it in your in-laws during the Christmas break. And most notably, you've seen it in the mirror. We've seen it. We know what sin is. And in another letter that Paul writes, Romans 3.23, Paul tells us that everyone has sinned. Everyone. They all fall short of God's glory. But he says more than that, not that we've just messed up and sinned, but actually in Romans chapter 6, that we are slaves, that we are enslaved to our desires. And we need to have this paid for. And the payment that Paul tells us in the redemption comes through his blood, that Christ through sacrifice on the cross, pays for our release from captivity, our sin, our rebellion, because there is no way we could save ourselves. But another byproduct of redemption, as we see here, is forgiveness. So not only is it paid for, not only are we released, but the penalty of it is also canceled. It is forgiven. And notice that it comes through grace that is lavished upon us. We have the promise of election. We have the promise of adoption, the promise of redemption. And finally, we have the promises of an inheritance and a sealing. In Him, we've obtained an inheritance. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, you get an inheritance when someone dies. You get whatever benefits and things that happen from their death. What Paul says is the benefits that we gain through his death are the benefits of salvation, redemption, election, satisfaction of God's wrath, adoption, holiness, righteousness, eternal life. I could go on and on and on and give you the benefits of the death of Jesus Christ. But it's not just that. We get an inheritance, but we're also sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. And what a seal meant in the ancient world were three things. First, a seal would be used to authenticate something, meaning something's genuine. For the younger generation, it's kind of like stock X. When you send in shoes, you verify it, making sure they're real, they're not fakes, they're not replicas. For us, it would be something more expensive to make sure that something, that we want to make sure that it's real or it's authentic when you're purchasing something. A seal would also be used to mark one's property or possession. So you'd see a seal and you recognize that's so-and-so's property. I shouldn't cross that. And finally, a seal would be made to make sure that something was secure. And so what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit verifies that we are genuinely children of God. We know this because in Romans chapter 8, he says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that the sealing of the Holy Spirit is also a mark that we are, given, that we are God's possession, that we are exclusively His. Again, we can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 or 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are God's treasured possession. And that the Holy Spirit also keeps our faith secure until the final redemption of Jesus' glorious return. So no matter the amount of mess-ups, failures, and broken resolutions, our faith is sealed and secured in the hands of God, not in the hands of you. So what? This is a question that my professor would always tell us after giving us like a 45-minute lecture. What does it matter, everything I just said to you. 
Well, I think that there are three things that we can get from these promises that we're given. Number one, Jesus is the root of all these promises. I know this is kind of like a Sunday school answer. It's like the safest answer you could give when someone's like, what did God mean when he's like, Jesus? Yes, that's true, (laughs) technically. Because all things are Jesus. Spoiler alert. But promises are hard for us as humans. As a parent, I'm realizing this more and more, that we break promises quite frequently. Daddy, will you dress up as Elsa with me? Uh, sure, I promise you, I'll do that. No, no problem. Broken. I'm not dressing up as Elsa. But we do. We set goals and plans and promises to ourselves and to others that we simply cannot keep or didn't intend to keep or we just couldn't keep. And part of the new year is actually reflecting back on the promises that we made and broke. But this isn't the case with God. Because these promises are rooted in Christ, they can never be broken. They can never be changed because it's God who made them, it's God who ensured them, and it's God who completed them. Paul makes this clear. He chose us. He predestined us. It was him who gave us redemption and adoption. It was according to his will and according to his grace that we have any of these promises and blessings to praise God for. And this should be freeing. I mean, my gosh, how much depression and anxiety do we have just in Northern Virginia? And this gives us complete and total freedom because no longer do I have to put my value in my successes or my failures, but in His love and His grace and His mercy. I can feel more at ease to know that even in my most difficult moments, I can stand firm and tall, not because of the strength of my faith, but because of the object of my faith. There's a big difference. The second thing is, is when your plans fail, they will, live on His promises. So when I first became a Christian, I would drive past this little Baptist uh, church. And if you've ever been on the internet, you know these little witty church sayings and stuff like that that people have on there? Like, oh, it's going to be pretty hot in hell. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second. Pump the brakes. But I would pass this one. It's like, when you don't know his plans, live on his promises. And that thing was up there quite a bit. And that was the whole first year that I became a Christian. So this is where this comes from. So I'm going to credit them, whoever they are. But this is true. Because early on, one of the verses that I memorized, and this was totally God, it was Proverbs 16, 9. This is back when NIV was the big thing before big old ESV came in, okay? But it was like, man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And that was a great life lesson that I didn't learn for a very long time, and I'm still not learning in some ways. But 2020 is going to be unpredictable. It's going to be unpredictable. Well, how do I know that? Look at 2019. Number one, Kanye West became a Christian and does gospel music. That's how I know how unpredictable it is. (laughs) But there are many things that have happened in the course of 2019 that I just never saw coming. Not just on 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 a macro level, but even in my own life. In 2019, I started as a family and youth pastor in a Presbyterian church living in a parsonage, and I've ended it as an Anglican curate living with my in-laws. You can take whatever, which part you want to see is the worst part of that. My life is going well. Don't let that fool you. Both my kids started new schools. We had one scary surgery. 
This year I was reminded in painful ways that racism is still a powerful force in America and that I cannot escape it. And even as I'm standing right now, standing up here, proclaiming to you, I have no idea what God is going to do in 2020. But I do know what He has done. And I do know what He has promised that He would do. And I may hope and I may plan, which is fine, but I'm not going to trust in my plans. I'm going to trust in what God has promised. And I'm going to cling to those promises as tightly as possible. And then finally, these promises are the foundation of transformation. Many of us in this new year, we want to change. I mean, why would so many people go to those Google metrics and put those questions in year after year after year if they didn't want to change? I think your coworkers want to change. I think your fellow students want to change. I think people deep down want to change. They want to be better husbands and wives, parents, friends, neighbors, coworkers, students, etc. And as I was reading, because I kind of get inundated on my iPhone with all these news things about New Year's resolutions, and here's how you complete those resolutions, blah, blah, blah. And I read this one where it was a bunch of psychologists and health experts, and this is what they recommended. They recommended that creating goals and resolutions that serve your mental or emotional help or deep change instead of setting goals of weight management and money. Well, why? Because they believe that your mental and emotional health, if you take care of that, it will influence all these other things. That though the, the main root of it is all of this stuff. The reason why you can't do your money well or the reason why your, your weight management is a result of something deeper. And I couldn't help but hear Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. I couldn't help but think that the work of God through Jesus Christ, the gospel, changes us at the deepest level that we talk about the gospel and its power to save, but the gospel is equally as powerful to change us. It is the foundation, it is the modus operandi, it is the way in which we change and work and operate. And if you read any Paul letter, if you open it up, that's how usually Paul starts. But I'll just use the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, we see the blessings or the promises of God through the work of God through Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, he goes into what you were. You were dead in your trespasses. You were an object of God's wrath, but God made you alive through Christ, and grace has saved you. In chapter 3, because of all of that, you now have the benefits of free access and confidence to approach God. In chapter 4, he says, now because of what Christ has done for you, you can be unified, and you can have a new life with new desires and new outlooks. In chapter 5, he says, now I want you to, because of what Christ has done and because of the gospel, I want you to walk and live in love, which means avoiding sexual morality, gossip, crude jokes, all of those things. He talks about in chapter 5 the way that husbands should love their wives, how wives should love their husbands. In chapter 6, he talks about how children can love their parents, how parents can love their children, and then finally tells us how we can put the armor of God on, but the root of all of those things happens from the gospel. Change happens at the deepest level, not because I have 12 steps to become a better prayer warrior, but because I know that I'm loved. On a level that is so deep, I can't get that from anything else or anyone else or anywhere else. So with this new year, right now, it's a great time to pause, stop, and reflect on the certainty of God's promises for you. So, I'm going to talk to two groups of people tonight. If you're not a Christian this morning, maybe someone offered you 
free lunch to be here. Maybe your family forced you to be here. Maybe you never thought you'd find yourself here this morning, but you are. Here's what you need to know. These promises are for you, too. It's not exclusive to church people. These are promises that God has made to you. You're not too far gone. You're not too lost. You're not too messed up. You're not too bad, whatever that means. Jesus Christ gave his life as a payment for your sin as well so that you could experience love, you could experience forgiveness, you could experience hope, and you could experience security. And it's going to be a journey of changing and looking like him. It's not instant like our society would love, but it is so worth it. To the other group, maybe you've been a Christian for years. Maybe you've been coming to this church since its inception. This is going to be your challenge. Are you living and trusting in those promises? Because I think it's very easy, and I'm speaking for myself, as someone who's been a Christian, it's easy for us to get lulled into this place of, I got this. I can do this. I know all the Jesus, I know all the passages, I know all that stuff, but God, I've got this. I'll do this because it's my faith. Rather than saying, Father, instead of trying to do this in my own strength, I'm going to be in a place of submission. I'm going to fall to my knees. I'm going to let you be you. I'm going to let me be me. Because you are a great God who has promised that you know all things, that you rescued me, that you've saved me. Let that be the change that happens in my life. So find time this week to reflect on these verses and root yourself more firmly in the knowledge that you are adopted, that you are redeemed, that you are forgiven, and that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Out of this knowledge can real transformation happen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who rescues. You are a God who adopts. You are a God who redeems, forgives, gives us your righteousness, makes us your children, calls us your own gives us eternal life. The list is endless, Father. You could have stopped at simply rescuing us, but that was not good enough for you. You wanted us to be yours. And so you gave us your son. Father, we pray today, Father, as we are in the infancy of 2020, that God, you would give us, just shower us in the grace that you give us in Christ Jesus. Remind us of your love. And let that be the foundation from how we change, how we operate, how we love as parents, as people, as students, as children, as co-workers, as neighbors, and as a church. We love you and pray this in your holy name. Amen.